Dave or David? Because your book says one thing and your Zoom link says another. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I answer to most things, um, Dave or David. Uh, obviously, the book's in the name David, so we'll go with that. Thank you very much, David Proudlove. Is it pronounced Proudlove or Proudlove? Is it, it pronounced is, differently? Yeah, Proudlove, yeah. No, it's Proudlove. That yeah. is a beautiful British name. Now, we're talking on um, a rather warm Tuesday afternoon. I'm very upset because Watford have got Stoke, I think, in a couple of weeks, and it isn't a wet yeah, Tuesday night. Yeah, I want my well, money back. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd say it's like that most Tuesday nights in Stoke, really, even in August. It is. Uh, uh, we are talking on the 20th of September. Uh, this won't go out for a few weeks, so it will be after Stoke City against Watford, which is, I think, being televised on a uh, Sunday? Yeah, yeah. It's um, we, we tend these days not to do very well on the TV, so... Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you are, yes, you're a Stokey. Yeah, Stoke, born and bred. Um, been watching Stoke for too many years now, I suppose. Um, 14... 41, 42 years. Thank you. Um, yeah, I know. Now, so I, a friend of mine's a Tramia fan. He's been watching them for about 78 years. So uh, I've, I've got a catch up with him, yeah. Ah, Birkenhead. Yeah. Tramia. I've never been. I've seen it across the Mersey, but I've never been. No, it's a big... Um, I mean, Tramia's record attendance was against Stoke, so it was a bit of a... Would it have been a Stanley Matthews era attendance? Uh, no. No, early 1970s when Stoke uh, Stoke were decent and actually won something, <laughs> which is uh, you know uh, a rarity. Do you know Stoke um, are one of those teams, and we're we're talking the the year that Saudi Arabia have bought a football team and that Manchester City have spent a hundred million pound on essentially a vanity project, which is to get Jack Grealish from Aston Villa. Is it at the top level? Football is not what I like anymore which is why it's lovely to talk to you because we're not talking about the circus today we're talking about when the circus leaves town and what happens when football leaves home so it's going to be full of psychogeography but we'll start with Stoke because you've got a new manager you've got a former Chelsea trainee who scored two at the weekend against Hull you've got Watford's finest defender who's so good we sold him yeah, uh, I mean, it's been a strange few years at, at Stoke, really. I mean, obviously, the relegation from the Premier League a few years ago has, you know, left left the club in a bit of a mess. Basically, highly paid, greatly underperforming players, and and, and Michael O'Neill had to come in and, and clear up the mess from three or four managers, which he did admirably. But it comes to a point where you know you, you judge John, you know. On results, um, I mean, personally, although I think O'Neill did a great job at Stoke, I think they should have made a change in the summer, uh, but they didn't. Uh, they let him go through a transfer window, bring in about 10 players, and then took the decision to, to move him on. Obviously, Alex Neal's come in. Alex is done so far. Seems to be doing okay. We've, I think we've, we've uh, won two drawn one and lost one um, which you know in the situation in the circumstances not a bad start he seems to understand where we're lacking and, and what the issues are so you know fingers go I'm not I'm not anticipating that um, we'll be you know troubling the you know the top top six this season but hopefully he can uh, you know he can he can 
put put uh, put his stamp down on the squad and maybe we can have a go next season. Ben Wilmot, I think, has been great since he's since he's come from Watford. Um, he scored a, a couple of goals, one last season against Preston. Was a, you've never seen anything like it. It was about thirty five yards out. And, and remind uh, me who the manager of Preston was that day. Ah, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure he probably remembered that. Mm, no, I don't. To, to, to be fair, I think Alex Neal had gone to Sunderland by then. Yes, was about to. Um, but uh, I'm sure he remembered the strike. <laughs> Yes, Lewis Baker, I was just putting the finishing touches to my book about the Youth Cup and there were two players who sum up youth football in the last era. Pat Roberts, who is now at Sunderland, where Alex yeah, Neal yeah. has just come from, uh, and Lewis Baker, who played twice for Chelsea, uh, eight years apart. He's now 26-27. I'm sure... He needs Stoke more than Stoke need him, but how good is it having a, a player who has come through the Chelsea Academy in this Stoke side? I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think um, Lewis Baker needed a home. He needed somewhere to call home. I'm hoping, obviously, uh, Stoke is where he... I mean, we signed him last January and we gave him a new contract in the summer, which, given the... Uh, he was... You know, the last three months of the season, he was arguably Stokes player of the season, despite only being there for half of it. Um, weighed in with a, a, quite a few goals. Started the, the, the first few games of the season, he, he, he wasn't quite at the level he was at last season. But since Alex Neal's come in, he's, he's picked up a guy, scored, like you say, scored twice at Hull last week. And, and the other the other guy, the goal he didn't score, he got the assist. Um, so... You know, hopefully he's um, he's getting back to where he was last season again. Um, but he's he's fantastic talent. As you say, he just needs to put some roots down. His best years, I think, are still in front of him. Um, and if we can benefit from that, either by you know him helping us back into the Premier League or by moving him on for you know a, a healthy transfer fee, then. Great. <laughs> well, again, I hope he has a terrible game on the 2nd of October. I hope Ben Wilmot puts himself out because if he has a good game, Watford fans who are already incandescent this season because we didn't beat Sunderland at home and lost to Blackburn away and that was and lost to QPR and uh, everything's wrong. Ingrates. Um, ben Wilmot is a symptom of what's gone on at Watford. I thought he could be Watford captain one day. I thought Will Hughes could be Watford captain. But for some reason, and we know why, uh, even though if they're not saying, Watford are a problematic club. Watford lack something Stoke have a lot of. Money. Well, um, I mean, we, we do. I mean, obviously, we have very, very wealthy owners. Um, big challenge at the moment is we're still tied up in knots with financial fair play rules which I believe I'm not an expert on, on those but I believe that we will we will have more room for manoeuvre come next summer um, which you know the sport have had to get used to the last couple of seasons having a manager that's been able to work his magic a little bit with a, a lesser budget so whereas we had players on we were on reportedly 30, 40, 40,000 plus a week um, hangover from the Premier League days, obviously. Um, salaries at Stoke are much much lower now, and that's thanks to the work that Michael O'Neill did. 
Uh, and, you know, he relied on free transfers. He, he used the, the low market well. But, yeah, um, yeah hopefully that, that, that might change it a little bit. I'm not, not obviously advocating the return to us signing huge checks again like we did when Gary Rowett came to the club. But it would be nice for Alex Neal to be able to, to look at things and say, well, you know, we've got an issue in this position, we could do a cover here, and he's got got the freedom to um, to do something about it. And that £40,000, Jack Butland was one, Joe Allen is another. Who else did you have to shift? Yeah, well, I'm just thinking of the, the, the players that were moved on, that were on big salary. There was others that, that were signed, like James McLean, for example. We signed him. Um, while well, just after we'd been relegated from the Premier League, he was uh, reportedly on a big contract. He obviously went off back off to Wigan. Obviously, Ryan Shawcross, but Ryan left to go to America. Subsequently, retired. Obviously, Ryan would have been on, you know, substantial uh, salary. One should imagine club captain, been around for a while. So, I mean, even some of the signings that were made um, on. You know, Nathan Jones, for example, um, Lee Gregory was reportedly on, um, you know, a big, big wage. Um, and we had to rein that in. Um, the, the losses that the club made following relegation were just eye-watering. I mean, obviously, the pandemic didn't help and playing behind closed doors. But um, I think the club's wage bill had a, a, a much bigger effect. <laughs> yes. Um, can you square... The involvement of the Coates, Denise Coates is the CEO or the owner. Can you square that with the rise of having a flutter in society? How good do you think Stoke are at earning money from the vice of betting and making sure that people don't overbet? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a difficult one to square. Uh, we're, I'll say this about the Coates family. Um, I can't remember what the... There's a, um, a charity that helps with with, with problem gambling. Bet three six five are the biggest contributor to that, I believe. Locally, um, Denise set up the Denise Coates Foundation. Uh, they contribute a lot of money to different causes, different organisations, different projects uh, throughout North Staffordshire. Example: uh, I have enough. A lot of time for the owners of both football clubs in in Stoke, for you know Port Vale as well. During the pandemic, um, both clubs were outstanding in terms of support for the local community. The hospital, the local hospital in Stoke, Royal Stoke, they were approached by Denise. So, what do you need from us? You know, and they provided the resources that, that the hospital asked for. But it's it's a it's a difficult one. Uh, I mean, you've you've got a number of football clubs these days sponsored backed by um, big gambling companies. Obviously, Bet365 is the biggest of the lot. Stoke supporters, are, I guess, are in two camps. There are, there are those that find that difficult. There are those that find that difficult, but can sort of square that, you know, in terms of the things that I've just mentioned. Let's face it, our idea is it's the, it's the way that football has gone generally. Uh, you mentioned yourself earlier about Saudi Arabians you know, buying into Newcastle. Um, obviously, what, what's gone at Manchester City over the last 
well, it's more than a decade now. I feel like I keep forgetting. Fifteen years. It started with the ties and then Abu Dhabi. And yes, Newcastle are not the only one, but come on, it has to stop. It won't stop, especially and the, the American hedge fund owners are not just as bad, obviously, but they're pretty bad. You wrote a piece for the Stoke Sentinel uh, in June 2020 about football and money. Uh, you quoted a friend of yours. I can't remember the exact line, but it was something like, you know, the, the, the soul is gone. The irony is, I mean, years ago, obviously, I used to follow Stoke. Um, I still do follow them, but I used to, I used to be at games, home games and away games. In 2009, which was during Stoke's um, first season in the Premier League, uh, I became involved in the semi-pro game. Um, so I'm currently the vice chairman of Old Town that competes in the Northwest Counties Football League. I struggle more now um, seeing the, the sort of other end of the game with how things are at uh, the, the top tables because, you know, without... The sort of the, the grassroots as we are, you know, the, the football pyramid's nothing. Our club is run totally by volunteers. We run a very tight ship. We don't spend anything more than we bring in because that way, the club's always going to be, you know, safe. Uh, last few years have been very hard um, through the pandemic. Um, some people's habits have changed. I don't think the. Um, the administrators of the game help us. They bring in new rules, regulations each year, which have a cost and time implication on clubs. Uh, and then, you know, you see at the top end of the game, all of this money, and it, it doesn't trigger. I mean, we, we've, we've had grants from the Football Foundation. Some of the money can't have obviously come down from the Premier League. But um, when you look at the Football Task Force in 1999 and what was promised... That promise has never been realised. Um, I, I struggle with it. I really yeah. do. You know, I, I, I've, got, I've got a friend that's um, big, big Stoke supporter, uh, and he's been, you know, become more disillusioned with with football since Stoke were in the Premier League. And he goes to watch. He does still go to watch Stoke, but he watches non-league football more now. Good. So he must go to Al Sager, which is in Cheshire. Al Sager, A L S A G E R, Al Sager Town. Who have you got this weekend or tomorrow? I have, we we um, we're playing in the FA Vars this weekend. We're, we're away to Racing Club Warwick. Um, <laughs> Brilliant. Which, Good. <laughs> yeah, which, um, it's be quite honest. It's probably a game we're not expecting to get a result from. Um, not the best draw either, because um, it, it means travel, it means hiring coach, it means additional cost. Um, but it's a game, obviously. It's, it's it's an FA competition. We'll go and we'll enjoy it. And hopefully, you know, we, we might spring a surprise and get a result. Anything can happen in, in a cup tie. I've just written this novella about a guy who takes over uh, the league below, the league below the football league is where the club is. The chairman's a publican. Uh, it's set this winter coming. And so I, I hope um, that Al Sager Town's volunteers can read it. That's who it's really aimed at, um, the, the real voluntary nature of football none of your hedge funders none of your coatses um it's aimed at the kind of people who work for and founded the urbme consultancy is there is it urbme or urbme that's 
<laughs> yes, letting people yeah. buy land. We don't have time to go into it, but that is what you do because we have to talk about when the circus leaves town, what happens when football leaves home, uh, which seems to me to build on what you've done on the streets of my hometown and Ballad of the Streets, uh, which you and Ian Pearsall put together. So talk about those uh, two earlier books first, please. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I've been writing... Um, for probably about 15 years now, doing various bits and pieces. Uh, I've had a column with the local newspaper uh, in in Stoke uh, for approaching 10 years. Anyway, through through the work I do for the the paper, I was introduced to to Ian's partner, Lindsay. Uh, We just got talking. I wrote something about an exhibition of his uh, back in 2017 or something like that. Cut a long story short, uh, he was really pleased and he invited me over to his studio and we just got talking about... Because Ian, Ian was born in, in Stoke, but he was brought up in Africa. Uh, his, his father took work over there and he came back to Stoke when he was 16. Uh, and... We were, we were talking about dis- different aspects of the city's history and heritage. He asked me where I was from, told him, oh, never been to that part of the city, blah, blah, blah. And we were having a drink and we just said, oh, maybe you should write a book, Dave. I was, uh, I was always of the mind that maybe writing a book might, might be beyond me. Uh, but we, we did it and Ian illustrated it. Uh, and then we went on to another one. Uh, which was obviously from my hometown. Doing those two projects with Ian convinced me, yeah, I, I think I could, uh, you know, books, I can manage that, I can do it. When the circus leaves town, actually had the idea, the concept, um, I, in 2010, I was working on the redevelopment of Manchester City's old ground at Main Road. And I actually thought, oh, this, this would be good subject material for a book. I didn't do anything about it. <laughs> It was, uh, it was only during the, the first lockdown pandemic and I'd been encouraged to approach pitch publishing by a friend of mine. And I thought, well, I'd lost some work, um, which had freed a bit of time up. And then another friend of mine, I told him about it. And he was like, do it, you should do it. And he kept pushing me. So I did, I, I made a submission to pitch and happily they, they, they took it. Um which um, led, led to two years' work, but, you know, I think the end product I'm really pleased with. And I think Pitch have done a fantastic job of course, for well, me. I think there's a really vested interest from Pitch because they're Brighton fans and Brighton have moved grounds in the last 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, obviously, Brighton are covered in, in, in the book. I, I still remember the... Uh, planning decisions on, on, on Brighton because I was at the time I was working for a government agency so used to obviously keep a, a close eye on their major decisions um, and obviously Brighton's move was, was one hell of a decision you know sensitivities around the location I, I was dead tough for Brighton actually uh, and I actually think that the, the, the stadium is yeah it, it was in a sensitive location in, in, in the national park but i think it actually adds to the adds to the national park and enhances it so and it's a great place to visit of course well absolutely and you you walk down the hill you have to walk down the hill to get to the seafront 
and then you get the mm. is it a bus or a tram to the ground itself or you can walk and if you, you so wish you, you can get a train up there yeah. uh, to the to Falmer. To the Falmer station Falmer yeah yeah and it reminds me um because the university campus that's there, it just reminds me of Keele University campus back home in, in North Staffs. Um, it's, yeah, uh, it's, I think it's a, well, it's been the making of Brighton, hasn't it, really? I mean, I think so, some of the clubs that have moved, the moves have actually provided them with pretty solid foundations, and I certainly think that's the case with Brighton. I've been to some of these out-of-town stadiums, the Majeski in Reading, the, is it called the Macron or the Reebok, whatever it's called now, Yeah, uh, and yeah. in, I mean, in I, Bolton? Yeah, in, in the book, I mean, I, I refer to the stadiums, the new stadiums, you know, by their original name. I think Bolton's called the University of Bolton Stadium. Of course. Now, which is a, bit, a bit of a mouthful. And the Medeski, I mean, that's that's called the bloody auto trading, I know, lease, something car leasing stadium. Oh, yes, it's it is. Word. Yes, stadium ever. Yeah, but the, the Bolton one. I mean, I've, in 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 the book, you know, so the, the Bolton move really was a move. You know, I mean, they're they're playing in Horwich now. You know, that's a, that's a separate town. You know, um, it's. I mean, it's it's readily accessible. I mean, it, you know, it's close to the motorway network. It has a rail station, which is five minutes from Bolton, but it's not the same. No, it's in you a know, shopping precinct. You can. I yeah, think there was a yeah. JD Sports there. It was, and they had the statues, and it was very nice. And I, w- I went to Bolton, uh, but there is something missing, obviously, um, in the way yeah. that if you go to Bloomfield Road, which thank God there's a football club there now, um, or indeed Vicarage Road. For some inane reason, there have been plans about moving to well, my home village uh, where I grew up in Bushy, where the old golf club was. No point. Yeah. It's a, it's navigable by car and people can walk up from Bushy Station, but it is in Watford. Bushy is the next village over. It needs to be in Watford, next to the hospital. There are land issues there. I, I imagine you've been to the Vic at some point in the past. Yeah, yeah, many years ago. <laughs> it's a nice walk. You, you physically cannot drive unless you get there two hours early and stick your car in the hospital car park. You have to walk. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the big issue I, I think with um the stadium relocations generally is they're all developed to it's the same shopping out of town models all based around the motor car you know the disruption to, to people's routine we have we had an issue at, at stowe last when the lionesses played there of course weeks yes ago. yeah yeah uh, you know loads of empty seats as the game kicked off people are like what's going on and it's, you know, Stoke have been there 25 years, and yet the traffic management issues that arose when they moved are still there today, 25 years on. And that night, obviously, you've got a crowd of, you know, dare I say, not regulars to the Bet365 that haven't got used to, you know, develop their match day routines about, you know, around avoiding the traffic chaos and whatever. And, that's what you get. That's what that's what's happened. You know, going going back to the the, the, the Reebok, in terms of its composition as a, as a stadium of the newer uh, generation of stadiums, that's that's one of my favourites. But in terms of its location, what it's located alongside the whole development model that, that enabled it to happen, 
in my mind, it's, oh, no, it's not for me. Mm. The uh, one, by the way, the one I liked was the John Smith in Huddersfield, where they knocked down the Macalpa. I saw a time lapse of them building the John Smith, and it's a great stadium. And obviously, it's a, I think it's a rugby stadium as well. So it's a multi-use stadium. It is. I mean, the the, the Alfred Macalpa, the Alphas, as the locals called it back then, um, that was that won the 1995 Building of the Year, the yes. RIBA Building of the Year. The only um, the, you know that's unheard of. A northern, you know, northern football stadium building of the year, but it did, it happened. And back then, I mean, it was you know that was groundbreaking stuff. And the thing that I liked about the Alfred McAlpine Stadium was for Huddersfield as a football club, it wasn't really much of a move. It was literally, you know, when they were playing at the old ground, you could see the new ground going up. Yeah. Literally, yeah. and so. For me, that that was a, a positive, positive one because it didn't disrupt match day routine of supporters. You know, they're still going virtually to the same place. They can still visit the same boozer on the way. They still meet the same friends. You know, in different places wherever they wherever they did. The move, like I, I always are back to Stoke's move, obviously because I'm a Stoke supporter. But the the move that Stoke made really. It disrupted. I mean, my, my dad. Um, my dad was a huge Stoke supporter, and he never, he didn't take, didn't take to the new place. He still went because the other day he was going, you know, he's going to go watch Stoke. Um, but he, he never took to the new place. Uh, my dad was one of those. He'd, he'd literally, you know, turn up, pay on the gate. You couldn't do that. Meaning, mm. first thing you had to get a ticket in advance. So my dad was like, "Well, I'm at work. How am I going to go and get? A, you know, so he's got to go and work out a new routine and how he get a ticket, how he get to the game, where he park. You know, he, he didn't enjoy it as much. Um, I was sort of me. I guess I got used to it over the years. Take my son. My son enjoys going, but um, yeah, I still prefer the off place. I remember but, hearing that West Ham fans would go to Canning Town." go to the cafes near Upton Park to spend their yeah. money, but they wouldn't get enough footfall because they would survive via those old match days. When they moved to the London Stadium and people yeah. did change their routines, they would close. That, I hope, is covered in your book, When the Circus Leaves Town. Uh, yeah, issues like that. Are, I mean, again, going back to Stoke, prime example, the, people always assumed that the Victoria Ground was named after Queen Victoria, but it wasn't. Uh, it was named after the Victoria Hotel, which was a public, ho- pu- public house right opposite the corner of the, the, the Stoke end of the ground. And the Victoria, I, I, I'd been in the Victoria Hotel countless times before games, and it, it's not a supported housing complex now. I mean, the nice thing is, obviously, they've retained the original hotel building. Yeah, the facade, it yeah. yeah, it's, you know, that, that landmark that, that Stokes poured, you, know, you know, they all went in there for a drink and whatever. It's gone. It's not what it was. That's repeated count, countless times. I mean, the, the Linthorpe Road in, in Middlesbrough, uh, uh, place, it's like typical local drags and chippies and this, that, the other. And you just think the impact on you know on, on you know that that stretch must have been huge. I mean, uh, 
nice thing about Linfield Road is it seems to recover. There's quite a lot of small businesses there and independent traders that obviously not withstanding the last couple of years and the pandemic, you know, they, they don't seem to be doing too bad. Scunthorpe, um, I mean, Scunthorpe, they, they moved obviously from the old showground well, 35 years ago, something like that. And that part of town has recovered somewhat, I guess. Having, you know, a Sainsbury's supermarket there may have helped a little bit. Mm. Um, yeah, some places, I mean, for example, Main Road, um, the impact on Main Road. I mean, it's not just Manchester City moving that's had the impact. There are other cultural reasons why to do with the makeup of the community there. But I think there's only one pub left now in, in the Moss Side area where Main Road was when uh, there was, I can't remember how many was, but there was a lot. Mm. <laughs> uh, your chippies again, gone. One, one chip shop owner has actually got a, a chip shop now. Uh, opposite the Etihad. <laughs> oh, very good. Uh, that's the yeah, their version called, of Lou Macari's yeah. Fish Bar. Yeah, yeah, an old yeah that's it. We, main road annoyingly, <laughs> annoyingly, there is so little time, but I do just want to pivot from the man who is number one in the album chart at the moment, Robert Williams. Um, he's uh-huh. musical. I read a book called She Stood There Laughing, and it's about how, yeah. which you may have read yeah. as well, I have indeed, Stephen Foster. Stephen Foster is his name. Um, And it's just about how useless Stoke are. But not even he, having written 200 pages, can tell us why Stoke fans sing Delilah. So that's the first part. B, how easy was it for the rituals of uh, Victoria to transfer to what is now the Bet365 and is still the Britannia? Yeah. Well, the origins of Delilah, um, it was um, during the late 1980s, and um, Stoke were managed by Mick Mills. Initially, when Mick Mills first came to the club, he did a very good job. We were in free fall, he stabilised the club, started to develop the base of a good team, brought some youngsters in. But after a period of time, it stagnated and we were going down back. And there was a very prominent um, Stoke supporter um, who used to get a lot of the stuff going on the, on the old booth and end and his initials were TJ TJ Tom Jones and he used to get a song going based on the like, forgive me Stoke City I just couldn't take any more we obviously adopted Delilah or, or open version of Delilah uh, that's that's where that's where Delilah and Stoke come from basically but in terms of moving on from you know uh, yeah, it's, it's covered in the booth. It's weird, but when we first went to the Britannia, um, the atmosphere was quite frank crap. Uh, and I think there were various reasons for, for that at the time. Obviously, when we, we got to the Premier League, that got turned on its head and you know, developed a bit of a reputation, let's say. But um, you know, the atmosphere, again, was dropped off. It's not what it used to be, which, in my mind, proves a point that in terms of an atmosphere, a football ground, it'll always be the football itself that drives it. So if you're if you're experiencing good times, you're gonna you're gonna enjoy it a bit more than maybe you know you were would do if you're not not doing so well. 
You, yeah, you wait oh. until the Watford fans come to Bet365 on the 2nd of October. We are even worse. We only burst into song when we score. It is really abysmal. Uh, and this started at the playoff final in 2013. Um, the, when the circus leaves town, what happens when football leaves home is David Proudlove's book. As you were talking, in my mind was, was that video that York City put together for Bootham Crescent. I guess that's the most... Recent. Oh, that video, super, yeah. Yeah, so that's probably the most recent club move. Yeah, I think I think it probably probably is. I mean, there's there's a few more that are in the pipeline. In the the, the closing section of the book was club sale. Obviously, I am in Liverpool at the moment, and Everton are just at work at the moment, just up the road from where I am. Luton have got their planning permission, yep. and a Forest Green Rovers is proposal is quite unique in some respects South End well, I can't see South End happening in the near future seeing as they're you know uh, kicking around in, in what, what was the conference these days um, but yeah I mean there's, there's a few looking at but yeah I think you're right I think York was the, the last one that video absolutely fantastic yeah which distills what your book is about because psychogeography, community. I wish we had time to go into the working class versus the middle class, but we'll have a separate chat about that because I think football is now in this stage where the working classes are, we know they're being priced out, but the whole nature of the game in certain respects is becoming suited. It's not about flat caps anymore. No, no, it's been gentrified. And I think, um, I mean, there's, there's, there's two aspects to that. There is... Um, what happened post Hillsborough? Um, you know, Thatcher's enemy within that sort of mindset, and obviously what happened with the formation of the Premier League with Sky TV. Those two things combined, you know, principally, modern football is the ultimate neoliberal project, uh, in my humble opinion. There's your next book. Will there be a next book? Uh, yes, there will, there will be. There will be a next book. Um, uh, I've put a proposal. Or started to pull proposals together. It's, it'll be called Work, Work and Play: uh, The Industrial Roots of English Football. Brilliant. And it's about it's about works teams and how works teams evolve. Obviously, the biggest works team in the world is Manchester United. Correct. Newton uh, Railways. Yep. Yeah. So that is a brilliant idea for a book, David Proudlove. When the circus leaves town, what happens when football leaves home? It's out on pitch. Uh, I haven't got my copy yet, but by the time this goes out, I will have read it. Uh, And best of luck with work and play as well. And of course, to the mighty soak, but not on October 2nd.